right, as Todd brings us the message, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning again. We ask that you would, um, as we anticipate hearing your words here this morning, that you would anoint Todd's lips as he brings us your word that you have laid on his heart, that we would quiet our own hearts to, uh, to receive what you'd have for us, that we'd be able to put it into practice in the coming days and weeks to further your kingdom. In thy heavenly name we pray, amen. Amen. I think it was, I was in ninth grade, so I think maybe 1989. I ran cross country, so it would have been my third year at the time. So I was on JV, so seventh and eighth grade, ran modified. Didn't do very well. I mean, I was at best average, probably a little bit below average. Ninth grade, same thing. Um, not a great runner, but Coach Brown, it would have been his last year, I believe, coaching at Beaver River, was a very good cross-country coach. The varsity team had won multiple state championships at that point. But I can kind of remember, I, I just wasn't that great of a runner, didn't, I don't know, seemed to really care a lot. And it was to the point where I was kind of like, I'm not sure this is my thing, if I even really want to keep running not that great, is it worth it, kind of the point where I could have been ready to give up on it, and Coach Brown, after one of the practices towards the end of the year, I think maybe he noticed that I wasn't really giving my best or trying to run hard or was a little bit kind of the point where I'm not sure this is my thing. He had a way of getting your attention that probably would get in trouble for nowadays, but he would somehow could almost wrap his finger around your clavicle. I don't know if that's possible, but it felt like it. And you knew he was talking to you when he was standing next to you. Um, so he, he did that. He had my attention, and he pointed at one of my teammates and said, how many legs do they have? I'm like, two. He said, how many legs do you have? I'm like, two. He's like, so get running. And he walked away. And it really did impact me in the sense of, look at them. They're running. They're doing well. And it wasn't even about needing to be a superstar or anything like that. But it motivated me. It encouraged me to keep running. Like, I can do this. If I put the effort in, I have two legs just like they have two legs. And I get there's some natural ability that comes that some people have and some people don't when it comes to running and all that. But it's the idea that he pointed at someone and says, look at them. They have the same amount of legs as you. Get running, endure, persevere, put the time and the effort in. And I feel like as we go looking at Hebrews 11, even the whole book of Hebrews, again, that's the author is doing that. He's pointing at these men and women, and he's saying, really, they're just like you. They're going through the same things that you go through. They, they face the same temptations, and yeah, they look different today. They go through ups and downs in life. They went through hard things just like you go through hard things. They've messed up just like you've messed up. And he's pointing at them and saying, but they're an example of a life of faith. And he's pointing at them and saying, keep running, keep going, don't stop. And the reason we can know this is both bookends, in a sense, of Hebrews 11, the last verse of chapter 10 and the first verse of chapter 12, point at, like, this is the purpose. This is what the author is trying to tell us. Like, keep running. Don't give up. Verse 39 of chapter 10, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith 
and preserve their souls. In other words, don't shrink back, don't give up, don't go back to what you were before, persevere, keep going. And then we see in 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, again, pointing back to chapter 11 and saying, look at the cloud of witnesses. In other words, all these men and women who lived by faith, I want you to look at them. Let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I, I want to keep that in our mind as we're going through some of these, looking at, at some of these men and women in, in their stories that the purpose behind this in the author is we can glean a lot of stuff by looking at it, but it's meant to help us to endure, to run. Like these are men and women just like us. Real human beings. They didn't have superpowers. They didn't have all this other stuff. They were men and women like us. And God is saying, look at them. Run with endurance. Persevere. Life is hard. Keep running. Keep trusting me. Keep going. And even we're going to kind of keep going with, with Abel this morning. And we talked about last week the idea of acceptable worship. That that whole idea of acceptable worship is meant, and again, to help us to endure. So there needs to be... I think there is a connection between offering acceptable worship and running with endurance, of persevering, of not shrinking back. That we get something, when we offer acceptable worship to God, that it strengthens us, it encourages us, it builds us up, it helps us run with endurance. I just want us to continue to keep that in our mind as we go. So last week I made this statement, acceptable worship starts with the blood, which is what we looked at last week, requires the best, is shown by behavior, and results in our blessing. So this is a verse in Hebrews. If you want to turn to Genesis 4 as well, but we'll be looking at this verse in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So that's where we're getting this idea of worshiping, that Abel offered, he worshiped God, and he gave a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And I think the big point, I guess, that I want us to hear this morning, that I need to hear this morning too, is that God cares about how he is worshipped. That God cares about how he is worshipped. That we can't just worship any way we want to. And we looked at that last week as well. There's acceptable worship and there's unacceptable worship. So I think there's a mindset that can very easily come in and we, and we can see out there that I can kind of worship God however it fits me, however it pleases me. As long as, in a sense, I'm worshiping God, it's okay. But I want to remind us that God cares about how we worshiped. And it starts with the blood, that there's no acceptable worship apart from the blood of Jesus. And for us, it's the idea of coming with a humble heart, recognizing that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, that we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, to become the righteousness of God. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that we can worship God acceptably, that we can be in his presence and worship him. It's now requires the best. That acceptable worship requires the best. And don't ever, we're going to look at requires the best and also is shown by behavior. I just want to put this out there that you can't do those again if you don't start with the blood or they just become legalism. 
They just become religion. They just become good works trying to impress God. So we have to start with the blood. But again, thinking about this idea of worship, like what is, what is worship? We're talking about offering acceptable worship, and maybe I should have went there last week a little bit, but the idea of just worship is reflecting the value of God. It's reflecting the worth of God. Brandon and Rebecca in Psalms this morning talked about that exalting God. It's, that's the idea of lifting him up, saying, look at how amazing God is. We exalt him. We lift him up. The idea of, in Psalm 34, I believe what Rebecca rang, magnify the Lord. In other words, and again, it's not, we've talked about this before, don't make, it's not God, a small God, making him look bigger than he is. It's magnifying like a telescope. It's making God look as big as he really is. We magnify him, and that's what worship is. All of worship is reflecting the worth or the value of God. It's an act that shows how magnificent God is. It reveals or expresses how great, how glorious God is. So when we talk about worship, that's what we're talking about. Magnifying God, exalting God, making people know his worth, his value. And Brandon did read in Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. Verse 9, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. We'll get to Abel in one second, but I want to look at one other verse. I think we read it last week. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And what I was saying, it says honor the Lord. And again, that's the idea of worship the Lord, exalt the Lord, magnify the Lord. So honor the Lord with our wealth and the best that we produce. The first fruits is the idea of giving the first and the best of all of your produce. And I think, again, whether we're not gardeners or farmers or not, it's the idea of everything in our life, in a sense, that we offer the first fruits the best of that. But if the way we honor the Lord is with our wealth and our first fruits, does that not indicate that when we don't give God our best, that we're dishonoring him. I think we can draw that connection. If the way we honor him is by giving our best and our first, then when we do not give our best and our first, we're not honoring him. We're dishonoring him. We're not exalting him. We're not magnifying him. So Genesis 4. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So God accepted Abel's offering. He had regard for it. It pleased him. And just quickly with this, again, this point of offering God our best, that acceptable worship requires us giving our best. That idea, again, of firstborn of his flock. That's the idea of giving the best, the first. Later in Exodus, we'll see that God actually commands this of the Israelites, that they give their firstborn. And again, that's this idea of, I want your first, I want your best. And they also put in there, and of their fat portions. You know, maybe we're like, okay, what's that got to do with anything? Fat's gross. But I will put this out there, that this means that God agrees that grain-fed beef are better than grass-fed beef. because <laughs> There we go. We got the marbling in it, the flavors in it, so the fat is good, it's biblical. But the reality is, is throughout the Old Testament, this idea of fat, metaphorically, many times, 
was the idea of the best or the choice or abundance. And just a couple, well, here's this verse of their fat, and that's the Hebrew word, however you say that, Shaleb, maybe, and of their fat portions. But now look at a couple other verses where that same exact word is used. And again, this, again, to emphasize that God wants the best, and that's what Abel was bringing. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. So again, that idea, that same word is this idea of the best, the abundance. Same thing in Psalm 81.16. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with the honey from the rock I would satisfy you. I just, again, to emphasize that Abel came, like, it says the firstborn in the fat portion. So this wasn't by chance that he did this. Like, he deliberately gave his best, and we'll look at that in a second. But with this, we see that when we give God our first and our best, and not our leftovers, not what we don't need, or not what we can spare, it's showing that we trust him, that we have faith in him, that we value him that we know he will provide everything we need, and it magnifies him. Saying, God is worthy of me giving my very best, no matter what that means for me. It's a way we magnify him and exalt him, and that's why when we don't give our best, it dishonors God. I'm going to read a few verses here in Malachi, just and try not to say much of anything about it, because it's pretty straightforward. But this is, in a sense, God showing that I do require your best and don't bring the leftovers. Don't bring less than your best to me and think it's honoring me. So this is Malachi 1, 6 to 11. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. So again, there's the idea of this honor, this exalting. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there may, oh, that there were one among you who had shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations." In every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Again, there's so much there that's so clear, but God is saying you can't bring the sick, the lame, the blind and think you're honoring me. He says, I have no place for that. You're worshiping in vain. In other words, it's unacceptable. It's new. You're not going to receive my favor on you. He's saying my name will be great. I'm going to be magnified. I'm going to be exalted. In Mark 12, another example of acceptable worship and this idea of it requires our best. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. 
And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So that was the best. She offered the best. That it was all that she had to live on. The sum was less than what these rich people, but they just put in the abundance, what they could spare, what kept them comfortable. This lady gave her best, what she even needed to live on, even though she probably didn't know, how am I going to keep living? I trust you, God. And doesn't that just magnify the Lord when she's willing to come and even give what she needed to live on? Doesn't that show the worth, the value, the trust that she had for God? Again, Abel's offering reveals his heart. It demonstrates faith, trust that God will provide, trusting that he is worth giving up our best. So what, what is our best? We're, again, we're not offering animals anymore. Some of it might be our finances. And again, recognizing that this is all part of worship. But what is our best? Because I don't think our best is an amount. I don't think it's a percentage. I think our best could be different from one worship offering to the next. Could be different for one person to the next person. What is your best this time may not be your best next time. I think that's why we need to continually seek him and ask him every time. Because our best is whatever he says. This was... Our best is our obedience. Our best is our obedience. Whatever God asks you to do, you do, and that's your best. Whatever God asks you to give, you give, and that's giving your best. Wherever he asks you to go, you go, and that's giving your best. I didn't ask for permission. I will be anonymous this morning. This was probably 30 or 40 years ago when I, I heard this, and it was just a discussion. And I guess, I think specifically around tithing, maybe giving of that to the church, but the idea that they've been giving 10%, which there's a sense of the Old Testament lays out 10%. Um, there's a lot of opinions whether that's New Testament or not, and that, I guess that's not really the point. But most would say, okay, good. Giving 10%, that's giving your best, that's giving what God has asked, and we can just leave it there. They said, but then God asked us to give, I forget if it was 15 or 20%. And this was a situation where money wasn't abundant, that it would be costly, that it could mean how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that. But in faith and trust, they did that. God continued to provide, continued to give everything they need. And my point is our best is what God asks us to give. Like, don't get locked in, and I'm not even talking just about finances, but there, Jesus talked a lot about finances for a reason. But our time, our giftings, where we live, all of these things, our relationships, our best is what God asks us to do and give. And a great God deserves great worship. He deserves the best. But acceptable worship is also shown by behavior. 
and this connects with this idea of giving your best. So we're looking at Abel here. How do we know that Abel worshiped by faith? Hopefully you say, well, Hebrews 11.4 told me it did. He did. And that would be a very good answer because it says by faith Abel offered. So start there. But I guess going to like Genesis 4, how, how can we look at the life of Abel and say he worshiped by faith? It's because of his behavior. It's because of his actions. It's because of what he did that we can look at him and say he worshiped by faith. That's why he's in Hebrews 11. God didn't just decide to say, by faith, Abel offered. Abel's actions, his behavior, demonstrated worship by faith. And this is what James 2 means, really. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Pretty clear. In other words, it's not faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. See, we see Abel's faith by his works, by his actions, by his behavior. Because again, it said he gave his firstborn and he gave the fat portions the best. That took thought. That took preparation. That took action. That wasn't just by chance. I got a feeling Abel knew the day to go offer the sacrifice was coming. There's a good chance that maybe this lamb or goat or whatever it was was maybe even already set aside and getting fattened up specifically so he could offer his best. We don't know that. But it's highly, highly unlikely that all of a sudden he's like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to be there at 10 o'clock. I got to grab something. And he just ran out in the field and grabbed the first thing he came and came running to God and threw it on the altar. And it just happened to be a nice, fat, firstborn lamb. We know that didn't happen. His behavior, he was intentional, he was deliberate, it took thought, it took preparation. See, our behavior proves our heart. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or your reasonable worship. So again, this is another verse that tells us what worship is, especially now for New Testament. It's presenting your bodies. It's no longer sacrificing goats and sheep and all of that. Now it's giving our bodies, and he wants to be clear too, it's a living sacrifice, so don't go killing yourself. That's obviously not what he's saying. But he's saying our whole body, our whole life, is now meant to be offered to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Again, that's the idea of behavior. It's shown by behavior. It's how we live. It's a giving of all of our lives to God for his purposes, for his use, to magnify him, to show that he is worthy, to help other people see how amazing this God is by giving our whole lives. Because worship is a lifestyle. It's not what we do Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. Seven days a week is worship. It's presenting our whole bodies, our whole lives as a living sacrifice. That includes Sunday mornings because that is biblical. It includes singing. It includes reading of the word and prayer. Those are all part of worship. They're part of a lifestyle that is acceptable to God. But our behavior, 
matters. How we come to God, how we worship God matters. We need to do it the way he does it. And if you go back a few weeks to the idea of faith, that God is the creator. We have to believe that he's a creator and we're the creature, and that means he gets to determine what is acceptable worship and what is not. He gets to determine how our lives will magnify him and how they won't. But our lifestyle, and I, I think we know this, displays who or what we have faith in. It displays what we love, who or what we really trust. Our lifestyle will put on display what we have faith in. And everybody has faith in something. All right, let's keep rolling. Back to Genesis. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, a lot there. The one thing I want to see here, especially this idea that acceptable worship starts with the blood, requires the best, is shown in our behavior. And we see some pretty amazing grace with God coming to Cain again. Like, he's coming, he's pursuing Cain again and get, inviting him to, to make things right here. But he, how does he say to, he says, if you do well, if you do well, again, that's behavior, that's action. If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you repent, if you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that there needs to be blood shed for your sins, if you recognize my worth, my value, and you come in an acceptable way, in a way that magnifies me, if you do well, if your behavior displays a heart that has faith in God, you will be accepted. And here's something I think, again, a simple statement, but obedience is not meant to be duty. It's meant to be worship. I think we can very quickly get in the mindset, well, we're under grace now. We're under the new covenant now. So obedience, yeah, I mean, I know we probably should. But I, I can come to God however I want. I can kind of live however I want now. We're, it, we're freedom, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. So certainly I can just kind of live but no, not even close. Obedience is showing, saying, I trust you, God. When we obey, it magnifies God. It's saying he's so much wiser than I am. Even if this makes no logical sense to me right now, I'm going to be obedient. And it, it puts him on display. It's saying, I trust you, God. And that's acceptable worship. And we should never think we can just come to God any way we want apart from obedience and that God's going to accept that. One more thing. We'll go back to Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Because here's something I think is worth getting out there for you to chew on. Because I, I hear it quite a bit in different settings, I guess. But it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. 
It doesn't say that because Abel felt like it, he offered to God. I say that because I think sometimes we struggle. Well, I don't, I don't feel like giving, so I probably shouldn't give. God loves a cheerful giver. Like, I don't feel like worshiping right now, so it feels like it would be wrong for me to start worshiping, singing, or clapping, or raising my hands. It feels like it would be wrong for me to start reading the Word of God when I have no desire in me. I don't feel like it in the morning. Worship is not about how we feel. Worship is about God. Worship is all about who God is and what He says. Worship is not about how I feel. Because here's the thing, there's many mornings I would just as soon stay in bed. Or maybe not stay in bed, but I, I could find stuff to do. There's a lot of mornings I don't feel like getting up Taking that half an hour, hour, silence, reading, prayer, the grace of God, it's less than it used to be, I guess, where I don't feel like it. You know something? Because I believe God is who he is. I trust him. I know that that's actually going to be the best thing for me, and that's also how I magnify him. My body doesn't get to dictate whether or not I'm going to worship or not. My feelings don't get to dictate whether or not. Because I'm sure there's many of us that, we would have been fine staying home this morning. It's snowing out, it's cold out, comfortable there. But there was something in you that says, no, even though I don't feel like it. One, God has commanded it, and I want to be obedient to him. But I know it's a way I can honor him. It's a way I can give my best. It's a way I can show that he's worth it. See, worship is worship by faith. It's living in a way that we believe that what God says is true is true, even if I don't feel like it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So Paul's saying is I appeal. He's appealing to their will. He's appealing to them, in a sense, to motivate them to do something. I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to your will. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. My point is that too often we allow our bodies to dictate what our will does. We allow our bodies, how we're feeling, to dictate how we want to worship. And he's saying, no, your will, you can make choices even if your body doesn't feel like it. And that's worship. Because a lot of times our worship, it may not match up with how we feel. Because again, there's mornings where I don't feel like singing. But you know something, when I trust God and I start singing, it's often in that that all of a sudden I find myself, I want to sing. This is the best thing for me. I think the same idea with giving. There's times when we don't feel like giving. But when we, by faith, give, we become a cheerful giver. All of a sudden we get blessed by God. We realize, okay, that was the best thing I could have done is trust God, is obey God in that. Worship is not always, or maybe never, a reflection of how we feel. It's a reflection of what we know to be true and what God has promised in his word. It's a declaration of what God is worthy of. It's not a declaration of this is how I feel this morning. This is how I feel today. I don't feel like forgiving that person, but it's saying, no, God is who he is, and I'm going to trust him. So I'm going to forgive that person as an act of worship, an act of saying, God, I believe you. I trust you. Your ways are higher than my ways. And again, 
we won't really get to the last one, and that is where we receive our blessing. And that'll probably come up numerous times that living by faith, worshiping by faith, acceptable worship is where God blesses us. We don't worship to get blessed, but when we worship God in acceptable ways, when we trust him, when we're obedient to him, he pours out his blessing upon us. Rebecca, would you, could you guys come up? I want to sing I Exalt Thee again. That's what we've been talking about. Maybe I'll read Psalm 99 again as they're coming up. And again, worship is about exalting God. It's about magnifying him. And we do that by giving our best. We do that by first recognizing that it's only through the blood of Jesus. We need, we're sinners, we need saving. We come with a repentant heart. We give our best to show that he is worthy of it that we trust him, that he'll provide. It's shown in our behavior that it matters how we come to God. That worship is a lifestyle of how we live, daily, moment by moment, trusting and obeying God. And in that, we live in his blessing. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord, our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. Our Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. Let's stand and sing. Father, you are amazing. We exalt you. We magnify you. And I just thank you again for this morning, this time that we can come together to worship you, to magnify your name. I, Father, just come to you now and just ask for help that for myself and each of us, and as a local church, we would continue to live in a way that magnifies you, that exalts you, that joins you in what you're doing. I pray you'd bless each one today. Bless them. Give them rest. Pour out your love upon us, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.